Hello and welcome back to You Want to Do What with Dan and Julie. Today we have Dr. James on, who is a vet. Hi James, how are you? Hi, very good, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Our pleasure. Um, Do you want to tell the the listeners a little bit about what you actually do? Yeah, of course. So, um, well, like you said, my name is Dr. James Greenwood. Um, I'm a small animal GP vet uh, based just outside of Bristol. Uh, So basically that means I treat everything from kind of cats, dogs, uh, guinea pigs, rabbits, all the way through to the occasional kind of snakes, reptiles. Um, I used to do horse work, but I now just focus more on the on the small animals. Um, and and yeah, I love it. It's 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 been my. I'm now when did I qualify? 2007. So just over sort of 12, 13 years that I've been in practice. Um, and and that's it. You know, I always wanted to do it. And 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 this is me as a vet, happy to talk about anything. <laughs> <laughs> so what what made you choose the industry? Have you always been an animal lover? Yeah, I think so. For me, I always um, I always knew that I wanted to to do something with animals. Weirdly, I think the the sort of the want or the need to spend time with animals was probably more of a motivator than than this sort of the science aspect of it. So, for example, I never really entertained the idea of wanting to do doctor, become a doctor or, or a dentist or anything like that. It was only ever veterinary was the only science that I was kind of that interested in. Um, and I think, and I grew up with animals, like we had loads of animals growing up with dogs and rabbits and, and a, anything that I could possibly kind of look after. I just used to try and sit my parents down and have these, have these meetings about why. I think it's a really good idea for us to try and get a goat in the garden. <laughs> Which sometimes I managed to push the, the agenda far enough that I could get to him. Did, did the goat time, work? No. no oh, okay. No, very, very often it was, it was a case of my mum's, sort of fretful face said it all you know no more pets but um <laughs> but that's you know and it's quite natural really from like not my immediate parents or grandparents but like traditionally our family up in yorkshire are, are farmers you know going back quite a few generations and i think i just always was always sort of fascinated by animals and nature and, and what have you and so becoming a vet really i think it was probably more of a calling really than a than a career choice i don't really actively remember thinking one day I am going to become a vet you know it's just something that I always naturally gravitated towards really. I had a, a very similar sounding upbringing to you we had the, a 1.2 Labradors six cats two guinea pigs two rabbits um, and a couple of goldfish for good measure so uh, yeah. I, I know what you mean it's um, when you grow it's up with the them food. it's it's amazing. <laughs> yeah and I think it's really good as well you know I mean I, I don't have children myself and I wouldn't ever you know, dreams to profess about how we should raise children and like that. But, I, you know, I do think owning pets as, as part of, or having pets in your childhood um, or having access to animals, you know, even if that's if you're in a city, stuff, I, think, I think it's really important for a child's development as well to sort of, you know, have animals around. So I feel very fortunate that we, that, that, you know, I had that as part of my, part of my up, upbringing. Was your uh, school education, uh, did you sort of tailor that towards becoming a vet? Well, so my, I, I kind of had a bit of a, a weird, um, I was always kind of quite 50-50 at school. So I, I, I had a, I've got a very creative side as well. So I do, um, I sort of, I'm quite artistic. I, I do a lot of um, ceramics, do a lot of pottery, do quite a lot of painting, all that sort of stuff, which I know sounds a bit weird and a bit sort of, well, isn't that just a hobby? But <laughs> I remember getting to, getting to A-level and I did A-level art. Um, and I took that all the way up, all the way through my, through my school career. And then... I had this really difficult kind of fork in the road where I had to decide career-wise, was I going to go down 
you know, an artistic route, which all of my kind of art tutors and stuff were, were trying to push for, and like my English teacher, my drama teacher, or my science route, which kind of felt a bit maybe more of like a safer bet. Um, and I think in the end, I, did, I kind of felt as though my artistic side I could always carry with me. You know, nobody would ever take that away. I could always dip in and out of that. Whereas the veterinary, you, you, obviously, you can only become a vet if you get a vet degree. So I kind of thought, well, maybe get the veterinary degree as the kind of the career aspect and then try and carry on with with the other stuff along the side which for a long time didn't really actually happen and, and it drove me to not a very good place and I got I got quite down and I could tell that it, it was a lack of creativity in my life was was having this effect on me so I've slowly kind of dragged that that side back out of me as well and now I, so now for example I work part-time as a vet I do three days three and a half days a week as a vet mm. um, and then on the other sort of rest of my time I do either something creative something in the studio or I now do some work in television and media um, and it just allows me to kind of have that creative side as well which which really helps well you've you did a, the uh, the great pottery throwdown didn't you yeah <laughs> how was yeah, that that was, <laughs> that was a while ago now uh, that was yeah that was, that was wicked I loved it I mean it was it was stressful don't get me wrong I mean those shows you know they they edit them all to look so lovely and, lovely <laughs> and oh isn't this just joyful and everyone skips around making making clay things but the reality <laughs> is is that actually it's very difficult standing in a room being judged by two people you know knowing that you don't really have a say you know you just got to stand there and take whatever they throw at you but but it, I mean it was amazing though and don't get me wrong I would do it again tomorrow it was such an amazing experience and mm. uh, and it's opened you know honestly it's opened doors that I, I would no way probably have got if i if i hadn't sort of you know gone down that route with it so so no it's good yeah funny enough where she interviewed a gp not too long ago and she said the same thing of uh she had needed a creative outlet and hers was drama she was very much in the same mind as you as um i can do the veterinary or gp whilst i can also do my hobby as that creative side on the side it's always important to have those hobbies and um creative and interesting things on the side Mm. I think that's it and I think you know I think when you when you go down quite a train I don't know what the word is I suppose it's like a vocation isn't it but when you go down quite a a train track career you know so my my uh, university degree led very much to a, a, a job which led very much to a career path so I haven't really ever had to veer very far off that that veterinary kind of that veterinary path if you like so sometimes it can get to the point where you feel like your career almost defines you you know you sort of have this veterinary badge that you feel you have to wear all the time because that's what you are but actually sometimes just to chill back a little back from that and just think actually you you know there are you're so much more than just your job aren't you yeah yeah, sometimes you have to allow those other things space to to really go back and enjoy your job at one point i also wanted to be a vet and having looked at it it was incredibly academic um you know you had to be really good at science really good at biology um and i think that might might put some people off maybe pursuing becoming a vet because you you need better grades than than a doctor i think for some vet schools mm. yeah i mean there, there's absolutely no there's no way you can deny it. you know the, the 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 grades that you need to get into vet school are still are still high um it's changed a bit since when when I was there. I think it's now on a is it a point system now that you have to go by. But essentially, when when I was getting in, it was at least two A's and a B at A level, and one of the A's had to be in chemistry. Um, and it's and it's it is academic. And I think I, I sometimes do question whether that is really the best thing for the profession. If I'm honest, because mm. 
you know, the, the actual day-to-day role of a GP vet certainly is as much about, you know, lots of other skills as well as just your pure academia. So I think some people do find that challenging when they kind of come to, come to the other side of the, the veterinary degree and you're kind of working as a vet. And, you know, you sort of learn stuff to such a depth and such a level that you've used your brain. You know, you, you, you've really tough exams, tough to get into vet school. It's hard to then even get through vet school. Then you kind of come out the other side and, you know, your first, your first role is to talk about flea treatments to people. And you sort of think, um, <laughs> I'm sure I've just done a really difficult exam in like, you know, the Krebs cycle or something in pharmacology or physiology. You know. So I, there's, there's, you know, it's interesting how... The, the level of requirements to get into vet school. How versus, long are you actually at um, vet school for? So it's fi- most places are five years, but some are six. Um, and then some people then integrate. So they'll do an extra year within that as well. Um, but the minimum is five years. And uh, could you run us through some of your time at, um, at vet school? Uh, how, how was it for you? Yeah. I mean, so I, um, I, I went to Bristol Uni, so I, I, I was at school obviously up in Yorkshire, in West Yorkshire, and then uh, in Bradford, and then I went down to Bristol for, for university. Um, and it's, I mean, so your first, your first few years are quite animal related. You know, you touch, your first year especially, you know, you do get quite a bit of hands-on experience with, with, um, with learning about animals. And then the middle part of the course, and I think this is still, still right to say, you know, even by today's curriculum, especially the fourth year of, uh, of, of a lot of the, the vet schools is incredibly academic. You know, you, you hardly really even have any hands-on experience with an animal at all. You know, you just loads of theory gets thrown at you. And that was the year that I probably found the hardest. You know, one of the, uh, one of the exams, I think it was physiology, I actually failed, which was kind of, it was quite a good learning curve because it was the first time I'd ever failed an exam, you know, and, and actually I don't think that did me any harm in hindsight just to experience what it's like not to just always kind of get through. Um, I wouldn't wish that upon anybody by any means, but I think in hindsight, it was, it was quite an interesting, interesting thing to work through. Um, and then finals. I mean, honestly, I can't think of any time in my life where I've been more scared or nervous about uh, my, my final veterinary exams. Like it was so intense that last yeah. year, but you know, you get through it and you get out the other side and, and, you know, it, and that's then really when becoming a vet starts. The veterinary degree is 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 intense. It's it's five years of pretty much five days a week. You know, in your last year, especially doing clinical work, you're in the hospitals, rotating around with the clinician. You know, the, the veterinary clinicians. So you're doing on call. Um, you know, it's really long hours. It, yeah, it's 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 a tough course. There's no there's no way to there's no way to sort of look at it through rose tinted glasses. It's an amazing course. Don't get me wrong, but but it is tough. Um, so I suppose I I've got. Um, oh, sorry. No, go please. on. Go on. Uh, I was going to say um, two things. One, does it uh, prepare you for uh, becoming a vet, or do you still have to have I don't know, a sort of a mentor when you come out? So when I, I mean, I'm, I'm it's, it's, I mean, it's you know, years since I came out of uni. Now it's quite different. Um, when I when I graduated, though there wasn't like a vocational training year you you as soon as you graduate on that that last day of the final day of your, of your vet school in theory you're then able to walk out into the world and, and 
just do whatever you know you you are in theory a, a practicing vet it's then very much up on on your own shoulders as a practicing vet to only ever really work within your means so you know as a as a first day vet to go straight into some crazy surgery to remove a dog's leg or you know fix some broken knee would would be way beyond your skill set really and so most people would then know that that's not something for you to be doing on day one um so it's kind of self-regulates quite well in that respect these days there's a lot more in terms of internships in terms of new graduate training schemes um practices a lot of the practices now are actually owned by corporates behind the scenes you know large corporate groups that um, have their own in-house mentorship programs so i think it's, it's much much better these days than it was i was very lucky i got into a really good practice straight away um and they were fantastic so but i do know of friends that have found the first few years quite quite hard back back when we graduated you, you sort of mentioned that you wouldn't be expected to come out day one and you know operate on a dog and, and remove its leg or something massive like that <laughs> but how does how does somebody uh, sort of get to work with you know lions and tigers and elephants and that type of uh, veterinary is that more years at school or um so that's <laughs> all the fun stuff <laughs> um, yeah no that's that so basically the one of the beauties of the veterinary degree i mean I've, i suppose I, I, i'm always i'm always quite mindful to not when when you say it's a tough degree and all that sort of stuff like don't get me wrong it's also I, there's nothing else i'd rather be doing i absolutely love my job um and one of the one of the huge benefits of a veterinary degree is the the huge array of things it can take you into in terms of diversifying from being a gp vet you know i'm still very much in general practice but that's my choice you know if if you want to you can mold and contort your veterinary degree in so many different angles so for example one might be to go into zoo work go into conservation work um some people go into large animal work to work with farm animal species go into horse work race work you know those sorts of things um but basically it all starts with a veterinary degree so you you get your you get your kind of base degree if you like which is is your veterinary degree and that within that you cover all species most of your species you don't do conservation or wildlife work potentially um but then if you wanted to take that more into zoo work for example um you can then either do a further degree in in you know some people would have another degree in zoology um or you can start to work more towards getting you know further qualifications in zoo work itself um and then you know you work within a zoo in the uk or around the world it's incredibly competitive you know you kind of have to i mean you have to want you have to it's a it's a regardless of whichever avenue you go down being a vet is all about the passion you know you, yeah. none of it is hugely well paid or anything like that you do it because you love the job um but doing zoo work you have to then take that a whole new level because the opportunities you know it might be that the only zoo that's looking for any sort of internships in the next three years might be out in you know germany or over in south africa or things like that. so you have to kind of be ready to just pack a bag and be like okay i'm going to move my life to there to here to there you know and sort of follow follow it around a little bit but but it is doable you know and people do it and and it's and it's fascinating stuff uh, you, you mentioned earlier that you've started to do a bit of tv work as well and you spend in three days sort of doing your, your general practice and then maybe a bit of creative and some tv work what, what's an average day actually like for you now um so normally up so i i uh the, the tv work we're doing at the moment is on cbbc um it's a children's show called the pets factor uh which is just 
we had just finished filming series eight, so it's done really, really well. Oh wow! Um, yeah, it's, thank you. It's, it's, it's done. It's done really good. I'm so proud of it. Um, and that that goes out to obviously it's quite a young audience, but it's very uh, it's very kind of fly on the wall. You know, we're doing we're just doing what we do on a day to day basis. Um, so the so the normal day to day we've got the film crew there would be sort of about we film it over about a ten week schedule um and we we film you know just in practice uh and then then come the fun days where they take <laughs> us to a green screen and get us dressed up as tennis players or bouncers <laughs> or anything like that and kind of come up with this narrative around the story and the cartoons and stuff and it's, it's really fun um so that that's when we're filming and then in between stuff so for example I've, this over lockdown we've done quite a few uh pieces for um you know some of the, the bbc daytime shows talking about coronavirus and stuff so just occasionally you'll get an email through saying would you you know appear on this you know show and give us a a, a view on this that or the other and stuff so so you never it's great it's great fun because you never really know exactly what's going to come come through the door mm. um i'm going to ask what sort of personality traits do you need to be a vet but i think it's also going to be quite broad i think someone who is working as a gp compared to a conservationist in the Arctic or something is going to be quite different. But do you reckon you could uh, answer that as best you can? I think, I think in terms of personality traits, it, obviously you have to be devoted. You have to uh, really love animals. You know, that, I think that's, obviously, <laughs> that's probably a given. Um, you do need to, I think it's hard because a lot of it is learning as much, as much about dealing with people as it is about dealing with, with animals. I think the biggest misconception about becoming a vet is that you don't have to deal with people you know you sort of you're you're the animal doctor instead of the people doctor but actually the majority of my work is communicating with owners it's it's about having a relationship with another person um and being able to navigate the communication skills around that to be able to you know talk with your owner come up you know you're crossing some pretty difficult topics you're talking about money you're talking about emotions you're talking about their pets um so you need to be quite a good communicator i'd say um i think you need to be quite resilient you need to somehow be able to shoulder the responsibility of being a vet without taking it too personally you know because again that there's there's some people that will make a complaint simply to try and get money off a bill for example and that can feel it can be really you can take that really personally you know when you've done your best for an animal and somebody you know complains or or comes up with something um so those those sorts of traits i think will really help you if you are thinking about becoming a vet um i think but then but then there are you know there there are still other avenues you can go down so if you're not naturally much of a per, people person um you know some people might go into different avenues and and you don't have that sort of direct um public facing role but you're still within veterinary so for example research roles you know if, you, if you're a real problem solver you might find that going into research and looking for new vaccinations or things like that would be a really a really great avenue for you to still consider so i think i think you're exactly right i think that the personality traits are very much dependent on whichever avenue you want to go down once you become a vet but i think the overall kind of the the thing that will get you there in the first place is i think a strong drive you know you've really got to want to do it in the first place because it's like we say it's a tough degree um and and you have to like animals you know you, you've got to have that underlying 
you know, want to help. Sorry, that's the dog in the background. <laughs> <Don't you hear? laughs> that's okay. let, me just, let me just shut the door. <laughs> um, so yeah, those the resilience, determination, um, and and a and a natural affinity and, and love for animals. So you kind of alluded to um, to it earlier when you were talking about dealing with people. How do you even begin to diagnose an animal when obviously it cannot talk to you? You know, GPs, they can, you know, somebody comes in and says, oh, you know, my arm hurts. What can you do? How mm. do you even approach that with an animal that comes in and the owner says, oh, they're just not themselves? Um, you just make it up. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Sounds like most jobs. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, well, so that, I mean, that is essentially the, the, the art of, of, veterinary science if you like you know the, the you the animal can't speak for itself and so you are reliant so much on the owner um because basically you can get so many clues from just what the owner describes so that's why it's so important when you do take your pet to the vet you know the, the vet the first thing they'll do instead of just going straight on to examine the animal they'll often say to you okay tell me what's the matter you know has he been sick has he drinking more are they are they you know they've, they've got diarrhea for example those sorts of things and it's a little bit of kind of like a constant mind map and you you kind of in your mind solving you know the, the sort of the mystery as you go along you sort of look for clues all the way through um and that's kind of that's majority of the time that's kind of how it works and then obviously then you start doing your diagnostics so your blood work your um x-rays and what have you um and and you sort of slowly start to piece piece the what do you say piece the pieces of the jigsaw together <laughs> no that's not right you know you know what i'm trying to say we'll go with it um, put, put the pieces of the jigsaw together um and it, yeah it's kind of it's kind of a bit of a detective a bit of a detective work really it's kind of problem solving mm. So what are some of the biggest positives and opportunities you've got out of the industry? Because obviously, you know, you, you've mentioned you're doing work in TV now. You've done eight series, which is amazing. Um, you know, and you've got a podcast out as well, um, I saw earlier today. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what are some of the biggest positives you've taken so far? So uh, for me, I think, I mean, all of that is, is you know, that's all very much kind of what I find interesting. And, and I, I love the kind of the communication of, science and, and and the sort of getting of the veterinary kind of advice out to a wider audience is what attracted me to those kind of media outlets and things like the podcast and stuff um but that's that's what works for me i think generally in terms of what a veterinary degree can bring to you it is it is that you can really mold it into so many different things the opportunities come in lots of different disguises um i think you just got to be kind of open to willing to kind of slightly take the, the chance on it you know i think there is still maybe a little bit of expectation a little bit of pressure on vet shoulders that they feel like they should go into general practice but actually there's there's no reason for that you know if you like i say you're interested in research or interested in conservation work or you know all these different avenues the the for me the biggest opportunity with a veterinary degree is is to is to just literally take it and run you know see it as a passport to a whole array of opportunities that you never know might might be out there Mm. um and that and i think that's what we need to maybe slightly so there is a bit of an issue in veterinary whereby we have got quite a high dropout rate at the moment and a lot of people are choosing to leave the industry after you know sort of maybe 10 5 10 years of practice um and we are facing a veterinary shortage you know especially with various things politically with brexit and 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 the sort of the issues around the demands of covid on on the profession um so there are some there are you know we are 
in quite a fragile time, if I'm honest, as a, as a veterinary industry. A lot of people kind of don't think of it as an industry. You sort of think of it as just a nice, you know, a nice day-to-day day job. But it is essentially, you know, private practice. It's, it's, it is, is, is there any um, information of why they're leaving or where they're going when they are leaving? Um, so there's, there is now started, there are the British Veterinary Association, Royal College of Veterinary Surgeons are, are now starting to do loads of work into this to try and better understand it. There's lots of, there's lots of different, sort of avenues around it so for example um disillusionment is, is probably quite high up there so you know people's expectations of the job don't quite marry up to the realities um possibly a lack of career progression you know th- there isn't necessarily a set path out there so you know once you kind of reach a certain level you know you can continue academically um but it doesn't necessarily mean that within a practice you know things like um, partnerships now potentially are less are less available, or setting up your own practice, for example. You know the competition these days is is, is really high with with lots of different types of practices around. Um, so I think there's there's loads of different reasons, um, and I think maybe one thing that we could look at more is is looking at the opportunities around veterinary and. Uh, and the diversification. So, you know, I've got friends that have left general practice and gone to work, for example, for drug companies um, as veterinary advisors, or they're working for the VMD, which is the, the veterinary medicine directorate, which sort of, you know, set up all the laws around prescribing medicines in the veterinary in the veterinary field. Um, so, you know, there, there are there are ways to diversify your your degree and your career. Um, but it, you know, it's an interesting thing. It's an interesting topic at the moment, and one that is 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 being looked at a lot by within the industry itself. Do you think maybe that the large corporate chains out there now have sort of maybe diminished the opportunity for uh, a young vet to train up, find a you know local area, and establish themselves as the vet for that area? Do you think that exists anymore? Ooh, <laughs> I don't know how to answer that. Um, no, it's a very good question. And it's one that I think is very emotive. You know, if you asked 10 different vets in a room, you'd possibly get 10 different answers. But I can guarantee every single answer would be very passionate. Yeah. Um, I think, I think you know, the cor- corporatization of, of a profession, you know, do- that doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, a dirty word as such. You know, in theory, the... the the larger corporates coming in you know that that could well bring with it better hr for example it might bring yeah. better, and insurances um, and things like that is yeah, you know, quite so, stronger, yeah yeah exactly and you know and and career within those you know career path within those uh larger sort of corporate groups and things it, it might be you know that actually the the corporates do become quite an attractive employee for employer for lot for lots of vets out there having said that you know for other people um the idea of an independent service driven small practice family practice is still their ideal goal in terms of what they want out of their career as a vet and i think the key is is that basically there is still room for all of it within the market you know you will still always be able to find your clients if 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 what you want to offer is a really high-end service driven independent practice there are clients out there that also want that more than you know a, a, the cheapest deal to just get in get out you know and, and pay the pay the least amount yeah so i think opportunity is there opportunity is sometimes quite scary to to sort of see um i think the competition is definitely definitely much higher than it was 20 years ago um 
and it takes somebody quite brave to to just think i'm going to hang my name above a door and start practicing but i've got friends that are doing it you know it, it, it is happening so um and who you know and i definitely you know i don't want any vets to lose jobs through coronavirus or you know or, or you don't want to hear about any practices shutting down to be honest because that that's just you know that's unthinkable but you know the, the whole industry has had a shake-up with the, the pandemic and you know who, i suppose who knows whether opportunity might come through that but i think I, I sort of i prefer the idea of opportunity coming because somebody has seen a gap in the market as opposed to somebody else's failing has created an opportunity yeah for yeah that's understandable um unfortunately i can probably assume the answer to the next question but um what would be some of the more less favorable aspects of the job um i think there's two really that most people within veterinary talk about one is one is the the mental health strain of being a vet so we you know we unfortunately do have some quite worrying statistics when it comes to uh the mental health levels within the profession and again loads of research being done around it but things like depression even all the way through to people you know choosing to end their life by suicide is is a lot higher than the than the general population um and those those topics are are really difficult to sort of understand and and navigate um but it does seem that even globally this isn't necessarily just a uk thing um but on a global level vets do seem to have a higher level of of uh, mental health issues um and i think you know so so that that's certainly something to that, that you know we, we need to understand better um and i think the other thing is is actually the financial reward um so there's there's a study recently or um i can't remember when it was published but it, it basically looked at the uh financial um how so i'm trying to word it properly so the financial commitment it takes from being an undergraduate through to becoming a qualified vet in reflection then looking at the salaries that you will earn as a vet is one of the worst degrees in terms of input versus output so wow. it, yeah so the reward of the financial reward versus the financial input isn't isn't quite there we, we've um, actually looked at um we are ever ask everyone sort of um, we'll give you the average salaries and see if that fits with your experience. And, and we found that newly qualified vets are between thirty to thirty-five thousand, but with experience, it can go for anywhere to, to forty to seventy thousand a year. Does that sort of ring ring home with you? Yeah, I'd say that's probably about right. I'm probably about right. So you've got your your new qualified vets, you know. But I think the thing is the the so how to put that into perspective i think your new your, your newly qualified vets that's probably quite that would be a good starting salary if people are starting on that mm. um but that probably is about average but the point is is that you could stay in general practice for 15 years and you might still only be on 42 43000 you know it's the 70 grand salaries are probably lesser um you know there's 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 not many vets that will be easily walking through on a on a 70 grand salary i think those are the kind of the specialist vets that have, you know, really committed years and years and years to extra qualifications, working in referral practices, you yeah. know, doing crazy operations, you know, working. So potentially really stuff. specialist quite uh, operations yeah. or but animal yeah. specialists. Okay. Um, yeah. What would be something that's not in the job description that you potentially have to deal with day to day? 
Gosh, these are these are tough. I'm, I'm trying to think. <laughs> we, well, we try and get the truth out of people <laughs> yeah, about, no, about the industry. Fair play. Well, I'm hope, I hope I'm being quite honest. Cause no, you are, are being brilliant. Are. Thank I you. I think there is, there, there's kind of like the public, the, the public um, sort of perception of what it's like to be a vet. You know, the James Harriet days, the idyllic kind of driving yeah. around up in people versus the, the reality. Um, the thing that's not in the job description, I think, I think that is the, um, oh, how can I word it? It basically is the fact that as a vet, you the communication with people is absolutely fundamental to everything that you do, but that crosses so many different social boundaries. So it's so, polit- almost political as well. So you kind of, you know, you forget that, you know, how oh, I'm not wording it very well. Things like, for example, puppy crimes at the moment, you know, you're looking at the, the different demographics of puppy owners, where they get the puppies from, um, mm the different uh, challenges when it comes to charging for your services, for example, um, you know, when one person can afford it comfortably and another person can't afford it, how do you navigate that? You know, when you're the vet faced with a poorly pet in front of you, all you want to do is help them, but it's not your practice. You know, you don't set the, the, the fees or anything like that. And somebody's, you know, in front of you asking for help and, those sorts of yeah, things. Yeah, it's almost it's, like it's the practic oath for a doctor, isn't it? You know, you, you're yeah. there, you've trained all this to, to help what's in front of you, and fortunately, there's a slight barrier there. Yeah, and that, that's that's the thing. It's, you know, it's the fact that, unfortunately, money comes into it, you know, and, and that's something that I think probably isn't really in the job description. Obviously, everybody knows you go to the vet and you have to pay a bill, but actually, vets, vets it's, that's hard potentially for us as well you know it's not that we undervalue ourselves necessarily you know but i think it, it can pose challenges that you you nobody really trains you for that necessarily do you think that might be a reason why people are leaving because of the emotional impact of you know you go into it because you love animals and you get to treat animals and hopefully make them better and healthier and extend their lives and then, you know, you're being faced with the, the business side of it, the emotional strain. I think, that's, I think that is it, basically. I think a lot of vets really struggle with the fact that, you know, these days there's a lot of pressure for practices to, you know, to succeed, for them to stay afloat. Um, you know, when I first qualified, we didn't really talk about the practice finances at all. Whereas these days, every single practice is very open about you know the fact that vets are a part of your role is to make sure that you are bringing in money to a practice to be honest Mm. um and that's you know that that's not necessarily a bad thing you know at the end of the day it has to it has to be a healthy business for us to be able to take a wage for us to be able to you know pay our own mortgages it's it all goes full circle yeah but i think sometimes some practices are very good at managing that and other practices i don't know whether it does just become quite this quite um difficult for for a lot of vets to sort of remember the good that they're doing you know mm. and, and it can it can start to feel a little bit money money orientated but it's you know but at the end of the day the practicing vet is is there because they absolutely love animals you know i think most vets would say the first thing they would do is take money out of the equation and just be able to help the animal in front of them mm. um but that's you know maybe that that's probably a little bit naive how does somebody begin to progress once they're within the industry? 
Um, there's, I think there's two ways, really. I think one is one is to carry on down an academic route. So you could you can keep getting um, certificates on top of your veterinary degree, uh, which could then lead you into, for example, becoming more specialised in certain types of surgeries, or you might become more specialised in certain types of kind of medicines. For example, uh, cat medicine. If somebody wants to become really specific um, as the kind of the the go to feline vet in the area you know you can you can go down those sorts of routes um and so that's progression academically and then potentially even further from there you could work in uh, referral practice you know some people do um internships or residencies to 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 get even further qualified uh or i suppose your other option is to look down a management route um and and like we've sort of touched upon go down the idea of setting up your own practice um or joining into into you know into a corporate role and and taking on more of a leadership role uh, within within a um you know a, a, a chain of practices um but i think it depends a little bit on what you what you define as being progress you know i mean i i I, for me, the progress has been a diversification, you know, from, from moving my veterinary degree and taking it into a different um, industry altogether. You know, and I feel like I'm progressing, even though I suppose traditionally either people would say, well, you know, you're now only working as a part-time vet. But I would say well, everything that I'm doing is, is still started off with a veterinary degree. So in my eyes, it's still all part of being a vet. Um, so I think the, there's, there's loads of ways to... to push it forwards i think i think another reason maybe that people start to get a little bit disillusioned with it is if you do kind of get to the point where you are just ticking along and and not progressing or not feeling like you're progressing you know i think sometimes you do have to push yourself forward a little bit to keep feeling like you are going in a direction you know have that drive to, to keep moving um so yeah. where where do you personally want to take your future forward james in the industry Ah, oh, I don't know. I can't really answer that because kind of, I'm still employed. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I toy with the idea of opening a practice. You know, I I, um, I think most vets do. To be honest, I don't think it would be. You know, I'm I'm sort of 13 years out, so we're, of course people start thinking about it. I'm 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 happy being a GP vet. I know that I, you know, within within my role in a practice, I just love being the first opinion, you know, vet that. I don't have any one particular interest that makes me want to go and only do knee surgeries for the rest of my life or only look at dog's eyes for the rest of my life, for example. You know, I quite like the all-encompassing GP role. Mm. Um, so who knows? You know, who knows? I would like to do more media stuff. That's been really fun. It's been a real big adventure. Um, but I know that's fickle. You know, that can dry up as quickly as it as it appears. Uh, so who knows? At the moment, I'm kind of uh, five years I've given it and we'll sort of see see where it goes uh and yeah don't know. Ask me again in five years. <laughs> <laughs> we will do we might actually do that um <laughs> yeah. how important is it to network with other vets um in the area around the country you obviously spoke about um vets being specializing in knee surgery or the feline medicine how important is it to know the people doing that sort of stuff um i mean i think networking is is it is important it's nice to have you know it's good to have a relationship uh with with vets around the country i think it's quite regional to be honest so for example i i have a good working relationship with a number of referral practices around our practice so if we have a uh a case or an operation that we can't sort out in-house because it needs 
super specialized imaging like an MRI or, or something like that, then we would send that case over to a referral hospital, same as a GP would send you to see a consultant at a hospital. Um, and that relationship is quite important, uh, you know, because it's nice to know that because you as the referring vet as the gp vet i'm almost their customer as well then you know as well as the client with the pet you know i'm all i'm almost recommending their services to to my clients so it's nice to have that as 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 an open relationship um but i think you know i I think it's like anything the more you the more you kind of just know the industry um you know it's just you know i think it's more just for your own for your own peace of mind to know that you're doing things right clinically um and would you still go into the industry knowing what you know now oh absolutely absolutely there's nothing yeah there's nothing i mean you know again these these studies i think it was one in ten vets would consider uh doing it differently if they had the time again um but no i there's nothing else that i wanted to do so there's there's no way that i would have ever not become a vet basically that was my absolute passion and drive um I've had my ups and downs with it. Don't get me wrong, but I'm trying to find a way to, to make it work for me. I think being, I think being a happy vet is all about taking your veterinary degree and making it work for you rather than just simply working as a vet, you know, make mm. veterinary work for you. And then suddenly you feel like the world's your oyster and you can take it in whichever direction you want. Well, thank you so much for coming on James. I've really enjoyed the chat and you are really honest, um, lots of positives and lots of honesty. So thank you for coming on. That's a pleasure. Thank you, for Thank me. you James. Uh, where can people find your Instagram and podcast? Yeah, so you can find me on Instagram at Dr. J Greenwood. Um, and my podcast is Vets Together. So just search Vets Together from wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely brilliant talking to you. Thanks. See you soon. Cheers, Cheers James. Bye. Bye. Bye.